Spiritual discipline, uh, spiritual Christian spirituality, biblical spirituality, it's all in there. Okay? And the object is to be holy. Okay? To grow, to go mature. So we talk about, obviously, we have to know God. Our, our, uh, our Lord, our Savior. So we, we, we study. We get to know about Him. That was the Bible intake. Okay, and then we have uh, prayer. We have to communicate with God. He talks to us through His words. Okay, through His creation, and we have this line of communication to Him through prayers. Okay, and we talked about confession last week. We have to get rid of all those things that limits our ability to to talk to Him, to be closer to Him. So we confess. Okay, and there's so many ways to confess, to relieve us of all that tension. And then, uh, now we, there's this thing called fasting, okay? And uh, most of us probably know what fasting is all about, okay? In your handout, there's definitions there. There's two definitions. One is uh, inclusive, <coughs> which is, uh, the difference is uh, the thing we abstain from, okay? Most inclusive is anything uh, that is legitimate. It could be indulgence in TV, indulgence in movies, and uh, sports activity, and any interest of yours that is significant if you lose it or if you don't do it for a time. That's the most inclusive. And then the somewhat, uh, the narrower definition is food and drinks. Okay, we abstain from food and drinks, okay? Fasting. So our topic today is on the second one. The narrower, the narrower uh, definition, uh, food and drink. And if you notice, one common thing between the two is that it has a special spiritual purpose. Okay, it has a purpose specific. So, who el who has? Okay, I'm gonna be tricky here. Who has not fasted? <laughs> Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Appreciate the honesty there. Appreciate the honesty there. Okay. So we're in a journey together. Okay. Uh, we try to be holy, but everyone has its own pace of holiness, of course, and we appreciate that. Okay. So, <clears throat> all right, obviously the rest has fasted one way or another, right? Uh, take a poll. Who has the longest fasting? I did it for, uh, uh, I can't remember. I've done it not numerous times, a couple times. Uh, there was one time I did it just for... Uh, Breakfast and dinner. Ah, but breakfast and lunch. I just had dinner. And it was, uh, and the one time, a week, oh yeah, I remember this, a week, uh, sunrise to sunset. Okay. So it was a week of sunrise to sunset. So who else? Describe your, Roger? I was serving at a summer camp in another church, a youth camp, and the youth pastor challenged all the counselors to fast for the week and pray for the kids. Um, and you learn, you know, it, it was a challenge, but it also opened my eyes to do different things. Um, and then um, you learn to drink a whole lot of water. A whole lot of water. Okay, let's, uh, who else want to share their experience? Fasting. Any, any, how you did it or how you felt about it? What was the result? Or In my case, it was almost, uh, almost always just a purify sins out of my life. I was really distressed, I was in trouble. I mean, not like, not like something about to happen, just I, you know, I knew that something was wrong, mm -hmm. and I need to really focus on hearing from God and put aside other thoughts. 
Good. Purpose. The purpose of uh, fasting in there. Okay. It's interesting. Our bodies. Well, we're we're ruled so much, especially in our modern world, caffeine and sugar and chemicals, that you you don't realize how. All that, you know, and not to get preachy on, on diet, dietary stuff, obviously, I'm not a picture of dietary health. But once you remove that, about day two, day three, you're not a happy camper as far as the feeling malaise. Okay. But about day four, there's a clarity. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that, and so, you know, recommendation, if you want to do this, I would lay off the caffeine a couple days before you start so you don't have the hunger headache and the caffeine headache at the same time. <laughs> Just a plan. Yes. But, but if you can endure that on-ramp, because the enemy and your flesh both are like, no, we don't we, we, we like it the way it is. The, the, the entrance ramp may be a little hard day two-ish, day three, but coming out of day three into day four, there is a clarity. And even energy energy okay mm -hmm. that's okay yeah. effects of the effects of uh, fasting on your body your mind and your emotions okay yeah i was going to say to add on to that um, i feel like i have a lot of things to do once i get past the initial okay and i feel like i have more of a first like attitude okay okay the sobering effect of uh, fasting Okay. Who? Who? Oh, okay. Just a poll. I'm not looking for a specific answer or a correct answer. Just uh, your thoughts about okay, where, how to grow. We're about maturity yeah, in this class. Okay, becoming more Christ-like. Okay. So, how does fasting contribute to that in your just off the bat there? Teaching of divine. Denying yourself. Okay. Denying yourself. Like Paul touched on, I mean, if there's sins of the flesh, that's one way to tell your flesh the spirit is in control. Okay. It's a it's a a prompt. Okay. A prompt about well, we talked about uh, you know we talked about it in confession. We talked about it in numerous uh, mortifying your sin is is a. Uh, uh, one of the things we need to grow at, right? What else? How does that contribute to to our wholeness? Okay. I guess when you do fast, like um, it helps you to see if you've been clinging to something that you shouldn't have been, and like idolize or expose food above like Christ providing Okay. Idolatry. Yeah. Examining yourself, where your mind is at, you know. Which you otherwise uh, would have been, you're coasting, you took it for granted, and then you have a moment that, hey, I, I'm doing something else here. Okay? Okay, who else? Okay. Well, today we'll talk about fasting, the nature of it, what it does, and everything. The first half, the second half is the deeper meaning, the deeper meaning of fasting, which will help us and give us uh, this, this, this not framework, but this mindset of uh, how fasting can help us grow, okay? Help us grow. And so the first part, let's just talk about quickly the nature of fasting. Some of you probably knows it. Okay, we had the definition there. And there's examples in the uh, Old Testament and New Testament of fasting. So, in such a way that you will see in the New Testament, Jesus was uh, assuming already. And uh, you will see also that there is no command, direct command for us or for his disciples at that time to fast. It was just assumed. Okay? So, meaning it was a regular practice, even in the New Testament. Okay? In the Old Testament, I'm just going to go through here fast because I know... In our uh, previous weeks, we couldn't make the, uh, the time frame, okay? I apologize. But, uh, so, uh, you have the examples, but I don't think you have the text, right? Okay, so, 
Just review the text uh, in your own time, but I will read them. Israel fasted on the Day of Atonement. Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, right? Uh, this is uh, the high priest uh, and all that, uh, if you remember your uh, temple worship. And Leviticus 16.29, And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourself. Okay, that's the word, afflict yourselves, and shall do no work, either the native or stranger who sojourns among you. I did a little bit of research of this. There was about five things, including food and water, uh, intimacy with your you know, uh, wife, there were other things in there, uh, as far as afflict yourself. Okay? So, but food and water, I mean, uh, abstaining from food is one of them. Then uh, second where uh, second verse uh, uh, passage Zechari- Zechariah eight nineteen right after the exile this is after the exile there are four annual fasts were observed uh, so says there thus says the Lord of hosts the fast of the fourth month and the fast of the fifth and the fast of the seventh and the fast of the tenth shall be to the house of Judah. Seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. So, the point is, they did it, okay? Third is, uh, uh, those were examples of corporate ones, and uh, this is sometimes individuals, okay? Second Samuel twelve twenty two. he said, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me, that the child may live. Okay. Note also the purpose of that uh, uh, fasting there. Okay. Not so much a sin. Yes, sin is uh, one of the reasons why we uh, fast, but there are other reasons. Okay, and then as an example of corporate, uh, uh, still in the third bullet point there, corporate fasting, Judges twenty twenty six. then all the people of Israel the whole army went up and came to Bethel and wept. They sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. Okay. Uh, hang on. Uh, this might have been in the face of a battle. Okay. There is danger. There is battle going on. Okay. And so... Uh, Four, bullet point there, at times, we're still in the Old Testament, fasting gave expression to various heart attitudes, grief, penitence, humility. Okay? So, it's, just, it's not just you're facing sin, okay? Or whatever the context is, whether you're asking for forgiveness or you, your remorse for sin, and then uh, the other context is danger, there's, there's danger coming. And you, it's fasting, and then this one is expression of the heart. Just expression of the heart. Grief, Second Samuel one twelve, and they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and Jonathan his son, and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. Okay, penitence. Okay, related to sin, but this is remorse, right? Uh, Daniel 9, 3-5. I'm just going to go to the uh, uh, fifth verse there. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. And then there's expression of humility. Ezra 8:21 says, Then I proclaim a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, for our children, and all our goods. And then fifth, fasting was often directed towards securing the guidance and help of God. Okay, a uh, supplication there. Then I proclaim, Ezra 8.21, a fast there at the river, I'm sorry. Yeah, did I, did the same verse, right? Uh, safe journey for ourselves. So it's the same verse, touching humility, 
seeking guidance. <clears throat> okay, New Testament. Uh, same thing, Day of Atonement. Okay. Uh, Acts 27.9 Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the fast. So Paul warned them. The Pharisees uh, fasted every Monday and Thursday. Okay, Luke 18.11-12 I know the Pharisees, you know, is this a Christian practice? But nevertheless, during that time, uh, New Testament fasting was a thing. Okay. And then we have a mention of the Anna, the prophetess there, Luke 2, 36 and 37. And she fasted. Uh, this is like every, what? She did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Okay. And Jesus fasted, right? Matthew 4, 1 to 4. Uh, that was uh, the testing. Okay, the testing. 40 nights and 40 days. Some call that uh, supernatural fasting because we might not be able to, to handle that. Okay, so they just put a, a pin on that supernatural fasting. Jesus fasted. Jesus assumed, this is what I mean, it's in the Sermon of the Mount, Matthew 6. Uh, the, the key word there is when. And when you fast, okay, so that means. You fast. Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees it in secret will reward you. Okay, so on and so forth. Acts, leaders of the church fasted. Okay, leaders of the church fast when choosing a missionary and elders. And Paul twice refers to his fasting in 2 Corinthians 6 and 11. I looked at that and, and some commentaries are saying, uh, it could be fasting, but it may not be. The words there is uh, just affliction. And the other one is, uh, I'm not very sure. So... But it doesn't take away from anything that the New Testament tells us that they were fasting, okay? And Jesus assumed it. So, we have that. It's well established. And so, components or characteristics of fasting is there. Okay, the, uh, there are four components. Uh, this is uh, one, what was given up, who participates, the duration of the fast, and how often was fast. Uh, conducted. Okay, these are the things that somebody tells you, oh, I fasted. Come to mind, how did you fast? Okay, so uh, the degree of abstinence, you know, I did it normally, meaning food and drink, okay, or I did a partial fast, uh, maybe a limitation of diet, I won't eat meat, right? No sugary or nothing that I like. I'm just going to eat vegetables. <coughs> okay? So those are partial fasts. So you're asking, okay, uh, was it a private fast? Or was it a small group? Or the whole church did it? Okay? So those are another characteristic. Private fast is what Jesus was speaking about in the Sermon of the Mount. Okay? Um, you know, don't look gloomy if you fast. Small group. Uh, I think we did it here one time. I don't know, leadership, a call to pass, or some group of leaders. Uh, I can't remember. I think it was just a Sunday school fasting. Over the years, it's a long time, but nothing wrong with that. Okay, so these are uh, options. And congregational fast. I know uh, John Piper calls on fast a lot in his church as a, uh, you know, a, a group. I don't want to call it exercise, but as a, as a church, they do it, okay? Especially for missions. Especially for missions. I've, I've, I've read something like that. So, uh, it's also in the scripture, uh, Nehemiah, Joel, okay, it's all there. And then, you ask somebody, how long did you fast? Length of fasting. It could be uh, 
there's no command, specific command on how long it should be. We have examples, but they're, they're different uh, uh, length. So one day in Jeremiah, three days in Esther, seven days in Samuel, and then we have the 40 days of Jesus, which is a supernatural fast. The Bible also records many fasts without mentioning the length. So we can't be legalistic about the length, okay? So we can't also... Legalistic means uh, there's, there's, there's a, a law about how, how long, or we can't judge anybody's holiness based on the length of their fasting. You know, I did it one, you did it ten, you're more holy than I am. Okay. Moses fasted for 40 days on Sinai. Would you call that a supernatural fast also? Ah, I'm not very familiar with that. How, well, what did he do? Yeah. 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 Uh, I don't know for sure, but I know it's supernatural because Jesus did it, right? But for Moses, the question in mind is that he did it himself in his physical, uh, or he was helped by by God, right? For a specific. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that will be the thinking there. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Good question. So, I just like I said, we can't be legalistic about it, okay? Legalistic, everybody clear about being legalistic, okay? It's just following the law for the sake of the law and the heart is not in it. But legalistic uh, also means when we look at other people, right? About we judge their holiness based on how they follow rules and regulations and ethics, okay? We look at the heart. Does that make sense? Okay. So dangers of legalism. So Moses did in forty days. He should be holier than than me. Yeah? So that's not the case. Okay. Okay. How long? Uh, how how often did you fast? Regular fast? Repetitive? Israel, of course. Uh, in the Old Testament, is Day of Atonement, right? That's regular, repeated, a periodic, occasional fast. There's no set schedule. Uh, if there's a, a need, as uh, we have uh, perceived, right, sin, danger, just you're overwhelmed with obs- of, of some, uh, uh, something you want to express, usually in, in times of desperation, you know, in times of uh, uh, aching and longingness. Okay, I think it can be done at times of joy as well. Continuous fast, John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist, what was his fasting? He had, it was a partial fast, right? He only had a specific diet, locusts and wild honey. So, uh, okay, so those are the components, characteristics of how you can do it. And how you can picture that task, that effort. So questions about that? Did you ever question somebody's fast because of the nature of the fasting that they did, you know? Okay, so it's pretty pretty straightforward. Okay. So uh, so we go to the deeper deeper meaning of fasting. Should Christians fast? Resounding yes, right? But before we do that, okay, let's just guard ourselves about food. Food is good, okay? Amen. <laughs> it's a gift from God. That's the point here. And uh, this material we have is still from the Capitol Hill, okay? Um, this passenger wanted to make sure that we understand the avoidance of food is not uh, because there's something about the food, okay? And also the severity of, uh, of the, 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 the thing that we do to the body is not the point here, okay? Remember asceticism, right? In the history of the church, okay? And that wasn't... Uh, for the most part, okay, for the most part, we don't, we don't know individual heart, 
but that movement for the most part uh, celebrated severity to the body okay so let me just read it here and those are not good example of fasting uh, let's talk about the food first Timothy 415 is it in there make sure Martin Luther, before he discovered the gospel, he just about wrecked his health with asceticism and fasting. Asceticism and fasting, okay. Sleeping on briars and you know, all that crazy go nuts. Right. Right. So that could be it. But there is some there is some suffering, right? In fasting. But the point here is what's in the heart. That's why we're gonna try 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 to 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 ascertain what's that in the heart. Okay, which is going to help us grow. I, I, like, I like this part of, of this reading because it really uh, explained to me and defined to me what fasting is all about in terms of, of the heart. Okay, so let's listen. Now, before we, uh, I'm just going to read through it. It might be helpful to consider what the New Testament has to say about food in general and about eating. As I said, food is good. Now, 1 Timothy 4.1.5, it says here, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times will, de uh, will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the ins insincerity of liars whose conscience are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected. We know that, right? Everything is good, uh, God created. Note here that Paul says about food, it is part of God's good creation. He says, not meant to be abstained from, if it is received with thanksgiving. Paul is eager to warn against a kind of asceticism that exalts fasting in such a way that God's goodness in the gift of food is overlooked. Okay? So we're not shunning food for, for fasting. Okay? We still see it as good. So when you're fasting, okay, you're, you're in the suffering mode the first two days, okay? And you might have that attitude of food is, is bad right now, okay? So you have to rethink that. It's, it's, it's a different kind of thinking, of course, right? Because you have that battle. But that food is good, okay? So you're seeing the dynamics there. We're not done yet, okay? So Christian fasting, to be clear, is not asceticism. In Colossians 2, 2023, Paul warns against that kind of severe lifestyle. He says that it dishonors Christ by rejecting the sufficiency of his person and work. So there's a sense that in asceticism you're trying to earn something. Okay? Earn something from God. Colossians 2:20 to 23. I'll read it. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Okay? So... So there is a strong warning against that kind of uh, uh, abstinence. So for us is to differentiate uh, a, a godly fasting versus that kind of uh, uh, fasting. Okay. In this text, eating or not eating. Okay. Bear with me here because I had struggled with this. In this text, eating or not eating is a matter. That is non-essential in itself, whether to eat or not to eat. It's not the point. I think that's what I'm saying, okay? Eating or not eating gains value. Whether you eat or you not eat gains value. However, insofar as it expresses love and contentment to God, or lack of love and discontentment to Him, that is the point. 
Okay? Okay, Romans 14, 3 to 6, 1 Corinthians 8. That is the point. Insofar as it expresses love and contentment to God, or lack of love and discontentment to Him. That is the point of the fasting. Old Testament commanded one annual fast during the Day of Atonement. But fasting is nowhere commanded. I've, I've, I've said that. And it's assumed. Uh, Matthew 6, 16. You know, and when you fast. Okay, that's a good text to go. When you says, are you fasting? Why? God commanded it. I mean, no. It is a Christian thing to do. Okay? It is assumed. Okay, so... So that's a good text. Another text, and it's, 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 this is even, all, all texts are good, but for our point, it's better. As far as explaining that contentment with God, okay? Matthew 9, 9, 14 to 17, okay? Let's read that together, okay? I'll read it out loud. You follow with me if you have the Bible. Matthew 9. This is about the new skin, uh, new wine skin, okay? The old wine skin, and the old garment. And you patch the old garment with a new, a new uh, cloth, okay? Matthew 9, 14, 17. This is the go-to. Then, 14. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we, disciples of John, okay, and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and worse tear is made. Neither is new, I mean, neither is new wine put into old wine skins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into flesh. I'm sorry, into fresh wine skins, and so both are preserved. Okay. Put ourselves to the test here. What does that mean? Uh, first of all, the references. Okay, we know about the references, right? Just in case, just in case we don't know, it's, we have different level of uh, our familiarity with the text. Cloth in the old, old, old uh, uh, garments. How does that? What, what's the dynamics there? Right. The a, a, a new cloth will shrink, maybe wash, and then the, yeah, so when it shrinks and you got the garment that is not shrinking anymore, so when it shrinks, it will tear away. Make sense, right? How about the uh, new wine on an old white skin? Huh? It expands. It expands, right? The fermentation process of new wine, a uh, wine, right? Well, you put, okay, I'm not a wine connoisseur, I don't. That's good. Never seen that process, probably. Yeah, okay, okay. Are you serious? Yeah? <laughs> okay, it's uh, yeah, because we. <laughs> uh, wine, alcohol, okay, is produced by sugar, and you put yeast, right? Just like bread, right? Unleavened bread, it expands. You got this froth coming out, so the, the volume expands. And uh, what is the. What's the nature of, uh, uh, of pressure? It builds pressure there, the fermentation process. Carbon dioxide, I think, is the, the byproduct. Okay, so it expands. What's the nature of pressure? The nature of pressure is to seek an exit, right? Seek an exit, it will seek an exit. So if you have an old wine skin that doesn't expand, boom. Make sense? Okay. Did we all know that before? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so just huh? I think we can do that. Okay, all right. So, uh, just a clear picture of what that is. Um, 
So, um, so tell me about the passage. Okay, the one point is uh, the people of John and the Pharisees were fasting, but the disciples of Christ was, were not fasting. And the reason is because the bridegroom was with them, right? Any thoughts about that? All right. Before I, I explain it, just so we we take a moment and to see the the significance of this passage in fasting. Fasting in anticipation and longing for the promise, yeah. where the disciples are in the, in the presence of the promise, and thus they can rejoice and, and feast. Exactly. On the nose. Okay. Everybody get that, right? So, uh, let me read this. Bridegroom is Jesus. When he is taken away from his disciples, Jesus means that he will return to his Father in heaven after his death and resurrection. During that time, the disciples will fast. And uh, according to John Piper, says that it is true that Jesus given the Holy Spirit in his absence. We have the Holy Spirit in a way, so that he is still with us, right? Lo, I will be with you till the end of age, right? And that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. So in a profound and wonderful sense, Jesus is still with us. Nevertheless, there is a greater degree of intimacy that we will enjoy with Christ in heaven when this age is over. There is still that longing, if you will, for more, if, if you will, okay, for the actual. So in another sense, Christ is not with us, but away from us. 2 Corinthians 5.8, Philippians 1.23. In other words, in this age, there is an ache inside every Christian that Jesus is not here as fully and intimately and as powerfully and as gloriously as we want him to be. We hunger for so much more. That is why we fast. Very good. Okay. New wine, in other words, calls for new fasting. What distinguish? Okay. New wine and new fasting. Okay. Let's let's do that. This is very good. Why a new kind of fasting? So crisis at that time, okay? There is the seeping of the kingdom, right? From the new age into the present age. It's not in totality, okay? It's just seeping. We, we have that. And then so what is the new fasting that it's referring to here? What distinguishes that, that Old Testament Judaism fasting from, from fasting uh, in the New Testament? Cool. Does, it, does that something to do with the Old Testament? They're looking forward to Christ. So now that Christ has come, we do experience part of the blessings that He received. Yes. Right yes. <laughs> A little bit here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so God, kingdom, Christ's kingdom, see through. We have, uh, during our time, we got saved. We've experienced the glory of Christ, right? And you get converted, and you see the blessings of it. It's real to you. You become a child of God. You feel the assurances of God through our Christian uh, life and through our uh, communion with Christ. So, <clears throat> it's... The simplest way, there's a more, more profound uh, way that uh, it was expressed. Read uh, A Hunger for God by John Piper. Have you all read A Hunger for God? That's a lot of fasting. It, it's, it's, it's nice. It's wonderful. Read the foreword. I will read the foreword later. Okay, so, how do you explain this? Um, taste. Taste. Okay? Compare somebody who hasn't tasted anything, right? For example, what's the best food that you have, right? Okay. Uh, yeah. Cake. Okay, you haven't had cake at all. 
Watch, compare that to the longing that you have tasted it, just a little bit, tasted it and savored it, and it was taken away from you. Okay? You get the picture? That longing, okay? So, uh, theologically, that taste, Christ established his kingdom, okay? He died for our sin, okay? He conquered death, he received his glory back. Okay, from God, and He is sitting at the right hand of God. He reigns forever. Okay. And then, but uh, the full of that, the fullness of that is still yet to come when He comes. So that that is the taste. Whereas before, as you said, it was just they, they, it was just a promise of the Messiah. They don't know how that tasted. Make sense? Okay. Comments. Comments. Okay. That's the new. A wine skin, okay. The wine is the is the fasting. The wine is the this is all in the context of fasting, right? Okay, good. So when I was preparing the lesson today, I wanted to write a narrative. Of what I was reading, explaining the nature of fasting and everything, motivation, the deeper deeper significance, how we can do it as a practice to let us grow. Because I think. I haven't taken a poll or research and statistics. It's often neglected. Do you feel that way? Mm-hmm. As part of our spiritual growth, right? We talk about prayer, confession maybe, uh, but we, we take it for granted. We do ask for forgiveness. But fasting is something that I think we need to hone in and, and see whether it's a thing to do. It is, okay? So I was trying to, to motivate Touch your heart, and uh, let's do it, okay? But let's, let's not do it legalistically. So, I'm, I'm trying to give you a picture of how you motivate your heart. So, a heart of a Christian who fasts. So, I wrote something, but it wasn't enough. So, <laughs> I failed. So, let's read this. Uh, I will read to you the foreword of that book, A Hunger for God. By, uh, it was written by Francis Chan and David Platt. And hopefully it will explain to us. Uh, okay. Hang on. Okay. It's a little lengthy, but I think you'll you you'll be blessed by it. Okay. <clears throat> As we look at our church today. There is so much that encourages us and fills us with gratitude. There is renewed zeal among God's people for the spread of the God's glory across the earth. Like never before, we hear brothers and sisters in different circles and different streams of contemporary Christianity talking about a gospel mission, about transforming cities and reaching unreached people groups. These conversations are essential, and we hope they will continue with even greater intensity and intentionality in the days ahead. But sometimes what we are not hearing can be as illuminating as what we do here. It reminds us of an exchange in an old Sherlock Holmes mystery, where Holmes refers to the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime, during a robbery. A fellow detective, confused at Holmes' comment, responds that the dog did nothing in the nighttime. He didn't do anything significant. To which Holmes responds, that was the curious incident. Despite the proliferation of Christian publishing, Christian conferences, J.I. Packer's observation of our own curious incident still rings true. Is what he says. J.I. Packer. When Christians meet, they talk to each other about their Christian work and Christian interests, their Christian acquaintances, the state of churches, the problem of theology, but rarely of their daily experience of God. Modern Christians, uh, Christian books and magazines contain much about Christian doctrine, Christian standards, problems of Christian conduct, techniques of Christian service, but little about the inner realities of fellowship with God. Okay. Modern Christian books and magazines contain much about Christian doctrine. I'm sorry. Our sermon contains much sound doctrine, but little relating to the converse between the soul and the Savior. Save our sermon, okay? <laughs> we do not ex- spend much time alone or together. In, 
in dwelling on the wonder of the fact that God and sinners have communion at all. No, we just take that for granted and give our minds to other matters. Thus, we make it plain that communion with God is a small thing to us. Okay, think about it. We are the passionate conversations today about commun- We are the passionate con- conversations today about communing with God through fasting and prayer. We seem to find it easier to talk up much of plans and principles for proclaiming the gospel and planting churches and to talk little of the power of God that is necessary for this gospel to be proclaimed and the church to be planted. Okay? If we really want to be part of seeing disciples made and churches multiplied throughout North America and to the ends of the earth, we would be wise to begin on our knees. It is for this reason okay, that this book was written, Hunger for God. Um, so we were made to feast on God. In other words, of the psalmist, we were created to cry. Psalm 63, 1-5. I'll read it. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. Psalm 63, 1-5. So we have read, uh, still quoting, we have read and the sad statistics about the number of young people who turn away from the church once they are out of their parents' home. We have heard people explain that they have tried God when they were young, but it didn't work for them. But we have wondered, did they earnestly seek Him with their whole heart? Did they cry out to Him in fasting and prayer? Sometimes we earnestly seek after things from God rather than God Himself. It is hard for us to imagine anyone leaving the presence of the living God, the maker, sustainer of heaven and earth, and looking for something better. There is spiritual delight to be found in God that far supersedes the physical diet of this world. And fasting is the means by which we say to God, more than our stomachs want food, our souls want you. Once we taste and see that the Lord is good, Psalm 34 8, the things of the world no longer appeal to us in the same way. As Piper says in the opening of the book, beware of books on fasting. This is not a book of legalism. It's not a book of technique. It does not contain 12-step plan. At the end of the day, it's a book more about our hearts than about our stomachs. The hunger for God, okay? That's a book. So, as Piper explains in this book, the Bible gives us many reasons to fast. Fast because we're hungry for God's Word, God's Spirit in our lives. Fast because we long for God's glory to resound in the church and praise Him. Fast because we yearn for God's Son to return and God's kingdom to come. Ultimately, we fast simply because we want God more than we want anything this world has to offer. Okay, a few things are almost done. Frustrating as trying to convince our loved ones of the greatness and grandeur of God. We are jealous for our neighbors and our faith family and the nations to find satisfaction in God alone. As we recently reread the book, You Hope, okay, this is the book, we have tried to imagine that it would be like our churches were filled with believers fasting regularly and biblically. What might God be pleased to do if his church rises up to say, quote, This much, O God, we want you. So, who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think? Ephesians 3.20. You see the point? Okay. It's yearning for God. 
Okay, it's not about our suffering. It's not about what we do in fasting. It's about tuning our hearts once more that uh, the sufficiency of God in our lives. So there are 10 good reasons there for fasting. And uh, uh, he alluded to it in that statement. Yeah. Probably could go on that list of 10 is uh, Job 23:12. I have not departed from the command of his lips. I have treasured the word, words of his mouth more than my necessary food. So there again, it's, he alluded to that in that statement. Right. But learning. Something new to you? Something touch your heart about fasting? I know, yeah. I kind of have that idea, right? But it's like uh, longing for that day of my conversion. I don't know your conversion, conver, uh, conversion experience, but it, it seems like I wanted to abandon everything and just be a missionary and do it. So, of course, you know, I was puffed up. The, the Bible tells us about that. But it reminds me of that again, that longing. Okay? I hope that helps you, blesses you. And uh, with the comments, questions? Okay? I have a, a gospel preaching sign that says a definition of prayer asking God to correct us in our thoughts. Correct us in our thoughts. Okay. And I, I feel like that's kind of. Yeah, yeah. Calibrating our thoughts back, okay? And that longing. Okay? Great. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and thank you for your providence of uh, this extra biblical explanations that uh, help us understand by your mercy and grace, Lord. we seek that is uh, of you, from you, for you. And uh, help us understand this fasting and help us uh, just incorporate that in our Christian life towards our maturity, Father. And uh, we confess we don't see it as this privilege, this opportunity to commune with you, to get closer with you, to be, to be more intimate with you. And that is what we want more than anything in this world, Father. Tune our hearts and our minds that we will seek that which is in heaven um, for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you.